informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thanks for joining us here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along for the conversation as we talk about issues impacting rural America and farmers and ranchers. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up here on today's program, we are going to take a trip over to Europe and to Germany. Specifically, farmers have been protesting in that country. Why is that the case? What is exactly going on? We're going to get details from Bill Verts from the Consumer Choice Center, journalist over in Europe. He is going to join us in segment two for a conversation. Coming up in segment three, we're going to recap the latest potato expo that happened last week in Austin, Texas, and talk about some issues facing the potato industry heading into 2024 here. Cam Corals with the National Potato Council going to join us after the bottom of the hour. And then at the end of the show today, we're going to have a conversation with the outgoing retiring CEO of Midwest Dairy, Molly Pelzer. She will join us here before we wrap things up today on AOA. First up, though, let's take a look at what is moving in the markets. Soybeans under some heavy pressure here, it looks like, early on Wednesday. While the corn wheat market's trying to find some green, joining us now for a conversation, Christy Vanon. She's with Vanon and Company. Christy, great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. What exactly is going on in soybeans? Is this all tied to South American weather? What do you think? Yeah, I think part of that is is it. I think part of it is people are disappointed. We aren't able to follow through with Friday's good trade. And I say good trade. I mean, obviously, we were still lower on the day. Um, but we came all the way down to 12.03. And, you know, 12.01 is a target we've been watching for quite some time. We got all the way down there, um, bounced off of it, key reversal off some bearish news. And, you know, you actually went into the weekend feeling really good about it. And then we came through on, you know, long holiday weekend, no trade on Monday, Tuesday, yesterday. Um, we were up 11 at one point and then just struggled to follow through with it. And I think that struggle just said, you know, maybe people don't want to be a part of this market right now with what's going on in South America. We know that anytime there's rain somewhere during a key growing season, it's hard to get somebody to step in and say, hey, let's do something with this market. And I, I'm afraid that's what we're seeing. Um, we're making some good action here, seven cents off of the low for the day. Um, but what we're watching right now is this 1201 to 1203 target off the March futures and saying, hey, can we hold this level equally? So $12 for Nov 24, $12 has done a really good job holding. And so we'll be watching that. Um, you do seem to be able to see wheat peg something together right now along with corn. So I wonder if soybeans don't eventually come along for the ride, but it is a disappointing morning. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm hopeful and we're not that far from this key support level that I'm willing to see if it can hold itself out um, to give me some hope. Well, in terms of all these grain markets, I think quarter beans, uh, especially a lot of this managed money, this fund money is uh, record short in many cases or close to it in these markets. And, and largely, it just feels like a lot of money has moved to the sidelines here in grains as we're down at some levels that, you know, low levels we haven't seen in a while. And I know a lot of farmers are frustrated with some of these price levels as well, Christy. Yeah, managed money has uh, a, a strong desire right now to bury these commodities. And I'm not sure what it exactly is. Um, you could come back and say, hey, maybe it's, um, 
Maybe it's that change of mentality we saw from the Federal Reserve saying that they feel pretty good that we're going to see cuts to the interest rate in 2024, signaling that we could have a soft landing, signaling that they are okay with the way inflation is going. And it could be them stepping away from commodities and saying, hey, commodities, we're not concerned about their inflation. We're not concerned about the economic standards right now and the world dynamic. And we want to be part of something else. Maybe that's the stock market and it does feel like that. They have been aggressive sellers and it has been dismal to see every um, every Friday when it comes out and seeing how much they're shorting these, these markets, especially corn. They're not that far from a record short holding in corn right now. And as disappointing and depressing as that is, it's actually a little bit on the positive side once we get to this point saying, hey, how much are they going to keep shorting this market? Um, unfortunately, um, you know, by the time they come in and buy, there might be that real story that we're dealing with farmers selling at that point, right? So you have another big mm -hmm. guy coming in here and selling the market. It's a concern of mine. They're short soybeans now. They're not short very long and um, they don't like to hold short soybeans very long. And so um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how long they want to pound these markets. Well, and I've heard a lot of stories of uh, farmers across the countryside being uh, pretty undersold in terms of their marketing of grain here. I would have to think that farmers, if they're frustrated, are going to have to be smart here with their marketing plan and, and potentially have to uh, take a look, hard look at some rallies if we get any short-term rallies in these markets to try and take advantage of it. What, you, what do you say to that, to Christy? Yeah, I mean, the last three years, two and a half, three years, you couldn't make a mistake, right? Maybe you didn't sell the high, but you sold at a very profitable level. Um, my first year was uh, 20, uh, 2009 um, into 2010. And those years were brutal. And I remember talking to my dad about it and, and telling my dad, hey, like these guys, the the futures board isn't even above their break even, let alone the cash price. Like, what do you do here? And we're kind of in that same predicament once again and saying, how do we dig ourselves out of this hole? And no one is a miracle worker is the tough thing right now. And so I think that you have to make these really uncomfortable choices um, to get yourself to where you can, you can be selling at profitable levels. And maybe that's saying, hey, I am a full dollar off of where my last corn sale is but I'm still making money. I'm going to do something here with hopes of being able to sell above $5 once again for DS24 or DS25. And so the carries are there in the market, but there are going to be some very uncomfortable moments moving forward, especially for corn and wheat um, at these levels. There's nothing you can really do about it. You just have to make sure you can get to the next stage um, for your operation. Christy, uh, thoughts in livestock real quick as well. I know in terms of cattle, we got a uh, on-feed report coming up on Friday. Have to think this market probably going to see some positioning ahead of that report. Yeah, I would agree with that. You look at the markets right now for cattle, we had you know some strength show up yesterday. Now we're a little bit flat on the day, and it seems like we are just kind of okay waiting this out and saying, what are we going to see from here? We're really consolidating at a key level for the VPOC on both live cattle and feeder cattle. And to be honest, when you're, you know, you're looking at these deferred contracts like your August, um, you're not all that far from some, you know, some recent highs. And so hopefully we can get up and going and, and see these markets want to do something here. Um, but they are consolidating, probably waiting for a little bit of additional information. 
Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of things moving in these markets for sure. Christy, if folks want to reach out to you and the team there at Van Onen Company to uh, get some thoughts uh, and ask some questions, what's the best way to reach you? You can call us at 1-800-648-5494. And I know they can also find you online, vanonco.com. With that, Christy Van On, Shesith with Van Onen Company. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. Always appreciate the time and the analysis. Thank you. All right, Christy Van On, she sits with Van On and Company, joining us here today on the program. Coming up next here on AOA, we're going to take a trip overseas to Germany, and we're going to learn more about why farmers are protesting in that country. Bill Verts, journalist and in, in Europe, and he's with the Consumer Choice Center. He joins us next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect and may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. A promise is potent. Born of intention, fueled by commitment, it's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, We've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. 
ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, you may have seen some of the uh, pictures and video on the news on social media of farmers protesting in Germany. What is exactly going on right now in that country? And what are some things we need to pay attention to joining us for a conversation and to fill us in on what is happening? Journalist Bill Verbs is with us here, joining us from Europe. Bill, great to talk with you again. Thanks for the time on AOA today. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me back. So what exactly is going on in Germany right now, and why are farmers in that country so upset? Can you give us a little background, Bill? So the German government has a hole in the budget of about $18 billion, and they tried to plug that hole by raising the taxes on tractors and diesel. Uh, needed uh, in agricultural uh, 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 sectors. So the situation is, is that for the longest time, diesel was tax exempt and the German government is now ending that. And that will raise about a billion dollars in, in tax revenue, but it also leaves a lot of farmers in a very difficult position of having to pay a lot more for input, especially since for the last few years and decades, it's you know, the over-bureaucratization of farming in Europe uh, and the fact that a lot of crop protection so that the crop protection can't be used anymore has made it much more difficult for farmers to have a good harvest, uh, having good yields. And as a result of that, uh, uh, they have been complaining. And now, of course, now if you also raise the taxes for them, and then they are rightfully upset. And what the German uh, farmers have done is essentially take the tractors out to the street, have the biggest protest in about 30 years, uh, just this week, uh, uh, between 30 and 35 thousand uh, 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 German farmers in, in the capital of Berlin, essentially asking the government, don't raise our taxes. Very interesting situation. It makes me think about a similar situation we've seen recently in the Netherlands and talked about here on this show. Uh, can we draw a lot of uh, comparisons to what's happened in the Netherlands as, as you know, a few here throughout the past few years as to what's happening now in Germany? Well, so the Netherlands was regulatory, this is taxation, but ultimately the methods that farmers use to oppose these rules are the same, which is mass mobilization and appealing to the public. And in both situations, what we see right now and what is so fascinating is even though in both the Netherlands and Germany, uh, airports and streets and motorways were disrupted and people got late to work because farmers were protesting and taking the tractors out, even though all of that happened, in Germany, 80% of people who are not even affiliated with the agricultural sector say that they support the farmers in their protests. So what we see is that politically in Europe, if you stand against a farmer, you lose politically. And I think that is so, that's such an interesting key message that farmers, when they organize and they band together, they have a voice. So thinking about losing politically, could this have potential ramifications for uh, the current uh, administration, the current chancellor in, in Germany, do you think, Bill? 
Absolutely. They're up for re-election next year, and uh, the polling numbers are definitely not looking good. I mean, the, the German government, because of this hole in the budget, will have to cut left and right uh, because they can't increase the debt because of the debt ceiling, the constitutional debt ceiling in, in Germany. So they're really struggling, and this protest is really just an, an expression of that. And, and the other problem that the government has created is that in its initial reaction, it was essentially just trying to brand the farmers as all just being on the far right. And that has really backfired because not only have the farmers said that they are not aligned politically whatsoever, is that this 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 strategy of trying to brand them in in one political camp has really not worked at all for the government because it was seen as being tone deaf to the actual demands. When farmers are explaining to you, look, I'm trying to make ends meet and produce good products for consumers, and your response is, well, you just must be on the far right. I mean, that just doesn't fly politically, and the German government is about to find that out. Well, I know, uh, again, you mentioned the difference between uh, what we saw in the Netherlands and some of the regulatory versus, you know, uh, what we're seeing here with tax hikes on ag vehicles and diesel. I, I just wonder, is this does this all speak to the broader climate maybe in, in Europe surrounding agriculture? I, I, we just we continue to see a lot of headlines, Bill, about, you know, various uh, attacks on farmers in different countries and then farmers ultimately seemingly winning uh, against some of those attacks on whether it's how they grow their crops or the inputs they use to grow their crops bill can you talk about that from a, a broader perspective for us a little bit yeah just on the german uh, on the on german example first uh, they they are winning because the german government is now open to concessions they say they won't raise taxes on tractors and they will phase out the tax breaks on diesel over a longer period of time the the, pro the, the farmers are still protesting though they say we're not okay with that compromise we want uh, all the, those plans to be cut but ultimately this is just downstream from european union legislation which a couple of years ago said all governments in europe have to reduce their their uh, carbon dioxide emissions uh, and all other emissions contributing to global warming. And many governments look to farming first and they're now under pressure. So what they're trying to do in the Netherlands by trying to buy back uh, uh, land from the farmers and, and you know, in, in Germany by increasing taxes is that they say, if we reduce the amount of farmers we have in the country and we import food products from abroad, what that means is that those emissions from food production will be on other countries. So on paper, it looks like those governments have pursued good green agendas. But in, in reality, it raises prices on food products for consumers. And it doesn't actually reduce the amount of damage done to the climate because you're essentially just buying it from other countries and you're making yourself more dependent on other countries. So I think this policy is really backfiring. And the fact that I think a lot of politicians in Europe underestimated how much support uh, the general public gives towards farmers. Bill, as uh, farmers in the U.S. watch uh, some more of what is happening over in Europe, is there anything you would tell them, remind them, things they need to pay close attention to potentially? What would you say, Bill? Don't just be bystanders. You know, Don't take any new rule and regulation, whether it's from your local government, state government, or federal government, as set in stone. Oh, there's nothing we can do. Maybe we can sue in the courts. No, it, it turns out if you mobilize and if you show force, and I mean taking a tractor out and having a long line of tractors going towards the state capital or wherever you're trying to protest against, that has visual effect and it and it and it and it plays politically. So farmers need to understand that even though they might just make up in their profession a small amount of the population, 
a lot of people in America and and elsewhere realize that they came from a background which was in farming and they have sympathies towards that. So I think organizing, expressing their views, sometimes seeking the compromise ahead of time and saying, well, if we don't come to a compromise, maybe we'll take it to the streets and we'll see how that plays in the media. I think that is really realizing that you know, th th there is a political force in, in, in farming. It, it worked in the Netherlands, it works in Germany, and those were governments who were dead set on doing this. So I mean, it was really, it was not sort of like there was no dialogue happening until these protests happened. And, and it really shows that there's a shift in, in the mindset. But for that, farmers need to realize their potential in expressing themselves on these issues. Well, Bill, great thoughts, and we appreciate the update. Uh, where could folks stay up to date with you and, and your commentaries as we watch some of these uh, various issues uh, in Europe? You can follow me on X at words, W-I-R-T-Z, Bill. And, uh, of course, just visit Consumer Choice Center website, consumerchoicecenter.org. Fantastic. Senior policy analyst at the Consumer Choice Center, author, writer, commentator, Bill Verts. Thanks for joining us here on the program today. Really appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. And once again, good thoughts there with Bill Verts for the Consumer Choice Center, journalist over in Europe, giving us an update on the situation happening in Germany. Uh, I wanted to share this uh, news headline as well. John Deere announced it has entered into an agreement with SpaceX to provide cutting-edge satellite communication service to farmers. So Elon Musk teaming up with John Deere, utilizing the Starlink network, it's going to allow farmers facing rural connectivity issues to fully leverage precision agriculture technologies. The partnership will enable John Deere customers to be more productive, profitable, and sustainable in their operations as they continue to provide food, fuel, and fiber to their communities in a growing global population. Now, Aaron Wetzel, Vice President of Production and Precision Ag Systems at John Deere, says, quote, The value of connectivity to farmers is broader than any single task or action. Connectivity unlocks vast opportunities that were previously limited or unavailable, end quote. Now, the new solution will connect both new and existing machines through satellite internet service and satellite terminals. This will fully enable technologies such as autonomy, real-time data sharing, remote diagnostics, enhanced self-repair solutions, and machine-to-machine -machine communication to help farmers work more efficiently. So again, John Deere entering into an agreement with SpaceX. They're going to utilize the Starlink and satellite internet network to uh, help farmers facing rural connectivity issues uh, here in their fields and help with their precision ag technology in the cab. So an interesting partnership, definitely something that uh, I think uh, many farmers may look to take advantage of. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to recap the latest Potato Expo that happened last week in Austin, Texas, and talk about some issues that the potato industry is watching in early 2024. Cam Corals with the National Potato Council is going to join us next here on AOA, Agriculture of America.
paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening day away for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains are mixed this morning. Beans are down hard while wheat and corn are up. Soybean inspections were a respectable 46.5 million bushels last week. That's a four-week high. However, total inspections of close to 940 million bushels are well below the 1.192 billion bushels shipped last year at this time. U.S. soybean sales have also been anemic as of late as China has been quiet and Brazilian soy premiums move lower. Brazil soy harvest is now about 2.1% complete. USDA continues to have a Brazil soy estimate well above the private crop scouts and analysts. Now, the January production estimate of 157 million metric tons is as much as 7 million metric tons higher than some respected crop scouts. And we even heard a forecast as low as 135 million metric tons, with another one at about 143 million yesterday. Obviously, traders are not putting much faith in those low estimates. And as in corn, while Brazil production forecasts appear to be heading south, those for Argentina appear to be moving higher. USDA's latest projection is for a soy crop of 50 million metric tons. That is double that of a year ago, while a well-respected crop scout did raise his estimate to 52 million metric tons this week. Now, weather in Brazil features dryness this week, but a return to wet by the weekend and early week. Argentina is trending drier for the next week or two, but remains in great shape. Now, bullish news came in yesterday that in the December NOPA report, which showed December crush at the record large 195.3 million bushels, that's compared to 189 million bushels the month before. Funds are now pretty even on soy meal and holding a modest net short in soybeans. The $12 level should be one of solid support on further weakness. The VIX this morning is looking to push to a two-month high, just under 15, while the dollar continues to gain steam after yesterday's big gains. Crude oil prices, however, are off almost 2%. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Everyone has a community to lean on. A neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around, reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samsa.gov. 
Keeping America's Farmers and Ranchers Informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Joining us now for a conversation, pleased to have him back on the program with us. He is the CEO of the National Potato Council. Cam Quarles is joining us here today on AOA. Cam, good to talk with you again. Happy New Year to you and yours, and uh, hope you're doing well. Happy New Year to you, Jesse. Glad to be here. I'm glad to be in 2024. Well, I know you guys just wrapped up your Potato Expo last week held in Austin, Texas. Sounded like it was a, a great event, Cam. Give us a, a little bit of a rundown of what we saw last week at Potato Expo. Yeah, we were we were really thrilled by this, Jesse. Uh, so our our expo, which is the convention, kicks off the, the year for the potato industry. Uh, not just the U.S., it's really all of North America. We've got some folks from the Pacific Rim. We've got some European friends who come in, Latin American. Um, we had over 2,300 people there. It blew out our uh, previous attendance records by over 17%. Um, we just had huge, huge attendance. That We were in Austin five years ago, Jesse, and in mm -hmm. that intervening time, we added 40% more exhibitors and 30% more attendees. So Austin was very good to us. We were we were extremely excited by how we kicked off 2024. Wow, great to hear that. Great to hear that. And you you talk about it being a, a kickoff uh, for the year for the potato industry. I know a lot of education, a lot of conversations, things like that. What were some of those highlights that you took away from the expo this year, Cam? Yeah, it's so we really try to cover all sides of uh, of the industry, and uh, so. We've got, we have these great well-known chefs who come in, uh, who, who show folks uh, kind of the most uh, creative new ways to prepare potatoes. We've got uh, input uh, providers, we've got weather analysts, economists, um, certainly in the public policy space, Jesse, we've got uh, Farm Bill, Trade, all of the nutrition programs. Um, and then we were very excited. Uh, we had the the chief ag negotiator at the office of the trade representative joined us uh, for a conversation about uh, potato trade, agriculture trade in general, and where it's all going for 2024. So it, it was it was kind of a whirlwind uh, trip around the important topics that the potato industry cares about, and uh, ho hopefully we got the balance right for all our attendees. Well, you mentioned the chief ag negotiator there, Doug McCaleb. Uh, what did he have to say in regards to potato trade as we begin a new year here, 2024? What were some things you took away from that conversation, Cam? Yeah, a couple of real important ones, Jesse, was kind of a look back at uh, Mexico has been open, that long running, one of the, I think it was the longest trade battle that USDA and USTR had ever engaged in. That market mm -hmm. is finally open. And the the question now is how rapidly can the U.S. build out that market and can we keep it open? Are all of the political shenanigans that we faced in the past, are those behind us or do we have to brace for more? Um, and then in the, in the uh, looking out the, the front windshield is Japan. We, we also want to open Japan to fresh, what we call table stock potatoes. Um, Japan is going to be a similarly challenging 
political process. A lot of the technical issues have been settled between the U.S. and Japan, but um, there's a there's a huge political pushback uh, domestically in Japan, and I think we're going to need to lock in uh, with both USDA and the talented folks at USTR uh, to get that market open. That that is going to be a real battle for for the the near future. What is some of the political pushback you're seeing from uh, Japanese officials? I, I mean, is there one issue in particular that, that could make this a challenge, Cam? Yeah, I mean, the, the issue uh, the, it really doesn't stray very far from competition. The uh, Japan has a very small but politically connected domestic industry, and they recognize that high-quality U.S. potatoes coming into their market, they, they import no potatoes, no fresh table stock potatoes from anywhere in the world right now. And they recognize mm -hmm. that having the U.S. come in with our high quality potatoes will, uh, in their view, it's going to change the marketplace. We would argue it may change the marketplace for, for the better and increase demand broadly for potatoes, but they don't see it that way. They, they want to keep us out. It's uh, purely protectionist and uh, it's something we're going to need all of our uh, all of our political officials, both USTR, USDA, the White House, and certainly Congress to push back against and, and break through that, uh, that, that intransigence. Well, hopefully that is uh, able to happen and, and that could be the case. We're talking with the CEO of the National Potato Council, Cam Corals, here today on AOA. Cam, I'm sure during uh, Potato Expo, a lot of conversations about uh, the current state of affairs in D.C. I know you're well connected there on Capitol Hill. Uh, we're trying to figure out a farm bill. We got appropriations in front of us here with these deadlines. It's uh, Quite a bit of a mess, I think a lot of folks would say. Uh, what's the latest you're hearing in terms of this appropriations fight and the farm bill? And what did you hear from folks during Potato Expo about it, Cam? Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of questions, Jesse. I, I'm not sure how many answers are out there. It, we've, as you mentioned, we've got a government shutdown deadline. We, uh, apparently, we're enjoying government shutdowns so much that we're going to do them not not once but twice now um, here in the first part of the year. Friday is one of those deadlines, and then there's a second one that's out in February. I, I think everybody believes that Congress has got to sort out those, those short-term issues. How do you keep the government open before it, they can get to something as complicated as a, as a farm bill that maybe is very likely to be well north of a trillion-dollar bill over 10 years of spending? So, I think everybody wants to know how they're going to deal with these impending government shutdown deadlines. I, I will tell you, you know, just taking a taking a step back, the the struggles that Speaker Kevin McCarthy had in the House were largely a function of the very narrow margins that he's got. There's there's just not a lot of room for error given given the math of the House. And even mm -hmm. though McCarthy has obviously moved on, he's been deposed. Um, that math has actually gotten worse since he left because uh, he left, uh, McCarthy left, you've got George Santos has been removed, and you have another member who's going to leave at the end of January. That will take the margin effectively down to one member as we get into February. There's no room for error, and uh, folks on both sides of the aisle have got to come together. The math just doesn't allow anything else to happen. Well, and I know uh, a lot of folks in terms of getting this farm bill done, Cam, uh, a lot of concern, too, with uh, the presidential election season effectively starting 
earlier this week. It, it had already started, but with the Iowa caucuses, I think that's the official kind of starting gun, so to speak. Are, are you concerned that a farm bill, uh, we may have to see another extension if we can't get something done here in the next couple of months uh, with things getting caught up in a presidential election year, potentially? Absolutely. I, I think that is the that is the looming challenge for all of us is as as you push deeper into 2024, folks are going to want to focus on, on their priorities as members of Congress and certainly the White House, and those priorities are getting reelected. Um, so things like a farm bill that are incredibly complicated to do, that it, 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 it's easy for them to kick the can down the road. We in agriculture cannot make it easy for them. Um, I, you and I have talked before, Jesse. I think the worst thing in the world for a, 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 a U.S. agriculture industry and a, selfishly my industry, when you're looking at all of this competition around the world, is to go into a series of farm bill extensions. What would happen if we're sitting here in 2034, 10 years from now, with a series of farm bill extensions of the 2018 bill? We're fighting the battles of a decade in the future with the tools of 15, 20 years in the past. That is a recipe for disaster for American agriculture. We cannot let that happen. It's uh, it's definitely something that I know a lot of folks are, are sounding the uh, alarms on here, Cam. It's something we have to watch closely. That is for sure. Uh, before we let you go today, final thoughts, anything else you're watching closely here with the potato industry as we uh, move forward into 2024, Cam? Yeah, last thing, and you, you and I have mentioned this before, this uh, dietary guidelines process is going on. Uh, USDA, US, uh, the Departments of Health and Human Services are putting together their revised recommendations for what consumers need to put on their plates. That's going to impact federal nutrition policy. One of the things they're considering is whether or not potatoes, which are the most widely produced and consumed vegetable in the United States, should still be called a vegetable. And um, we, we, it's one of the more comically absurd, but also very serious issues that we're facing. Um, we've got some academic folks out there who are just flat out disregarding the nature of the commodity, the the its horticultural botanical characteristics and are saying, well, it feels to us like it's something else. And they want to create federal policy around their feelings and uh, kind of feeding into this post-factual world that we find ourselves in. It's a huge frustration for us. And more importantly, it's going to be a big cost that they're dumping onto local school districts and, and other entities if potatoes are no longer classified as vegetables and they no longer count for reimbursement in the vegetable category as, as these local schools are trying to create breakfasts and lunches for school children around the world on uh, around the country on very, very tight budgets. A lot of items to uh, consider and think about in a year ahead. Folks can stay up to date. NationalPotatoCouncil.org. With that, the CEO of the National Potato Council, Cam Quarles. Thanks for joining us on AOA, Cam, as always. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Jesse, always enjoy it. Thanks very much. All right, coming up next on AOA, we're going to wrap up the show. We'll have a conversation with Molly Pelzer, the retiring CEO of Midwest Dairy. She joins us next on AOA. Hey, wouldn't it be great?
great if life came with a remote control. You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of pre-diabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Corn is native to the American continent and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, joining us now for a conversation, she is the CEO of Midwest Dairy, getting set to retire this year. Molly Pelzer is with us. Molly, great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us here on the show. I hope you're doing well. My pleasure, Jesse. Well, as I mentioned, you are getting ready to retire. First off, congratulations uh, on your announcement. An almost 40-year career. Talk about your decision to retire. What led to that decision? Why now? Well, I, I look forward to this next chapter in my life, and it is bittersweet. Um, this organization, Midwest Dairy, has been a big part of my life, as you mentioned, for 40 years. I started my career in dairy checkoff, working with schools and health professionals, I held many different positions uh, throughout the company and in 2019 accepted the role of CEO. So over my time at Midwest Dairy, I've seen checkoff strategies evolve and new ideas, but always trying to make a difference for dairy farm families. So it's been a privilege to work for dairy farmers and I've enjoyed my career immensely. On a personal front, I'm looking forward to spending more time with my family. I'm also looking forward to re-engaging with my community. Uh, church and volunteer activities abound here in Eastern Iowa. So my goals look a little different in 2024 than maybe they have for the last 40 years, but I'm excited to shift my energy in new directions. And I believe I can use the skills that I've learned as a dairy checkoff employee in new ways. Well, again, congratulations. And, you know, your years uh, and your time as CEO, for that matter, of Midwest Dairy, what have been some of your proudest accomplishments? Talk about that. I think the biggest thing that has happened in my tenure as CEO is a board directive. And I'm very proud of the fact that we've created a metric scorecard, we call it, at Midwest Dairy over the last four years. This scorecard helps communicate the impact of the work we're doing with dairy farmers checkoff investments to dairy farmers. I've always believed that checkoff is dairy farmer led. And when the board of directors at Midwest Dairy challenged us to develop a tool that would help us convey more about dairy checkoff results, uh, the tool uh, was uh, created and it's inspired other dairy checkoff organizations as well. So we'll continue to improve that scorecard as we learn how to best communicate results with all dairy farmers for greater transparency and meaning. Well, Molly, on the opposite end of the spectrum, on the flip side, how about some of the biggest challenges you've had in your time as CEO of Midwest Dairy? Is there anything you could point to there? 
You know, I think our biggest challenges have been for dairy promotion and research to stay relevant to today's consumers in today's marketplace. That old saying that what got you here won't get you where you need to go is so true. We want to make a difference for all dairy farm families and dairy promotion needs to stay tuned to what consumers are wanting and needing or even ahead of trends. I think maybe some great examples of this are the avenues to reach consumers. When I began, we had just a few television stations, radios and print, Mm -hmm. and now we have social media and podcasts and so many different um, opportunities. Also the way consumers shop for food now. Grocery shopping 40 years ago looks different than it does now. We've got even convenience stores that are great retail outfits and outlets and certainly um, where Gen Z is shopping. Mm-hmm. And then when you think about consu- schools, um, when my career started, I worked a lot in schools. Think about all the changes that have happened in schools in the last 40 years. Yeah, there's been so much that has happened uh, in your tenure, for sure, on the dairy side. And as we look ahead to 2024, what do you see on the horizon for the dairy industry? I know there's a lot of you know policy things that we, we probably can't get into necessarily, but I, I, there's there's no doubt, uh, no shortage of news for the dairy industry we need to watch here the year ahead. What are some things you're keeping a close eye on? You know, as I talk with our staff at Midwest Dairy and with the dairy farmer board members, I talk about three things that are not going to change. Dairy farmers are going to be continued to be dedicated to the hard work to produce what I think is the best and most nutritious food there is. Dairy farmers will remain committed to take care of their cows and taking care of the planet. So our sustainability path is going to continue. And then dairy promotion is going to continue to need innovation and new thinking. You know, those challenges we talked about staying relevant in today's consumers, um, we are going to need to change and be on that cutting edge to make sure we build trust and sales for dairy. And dairy farmers on our board and the Midwest Dairy staff have been dedicated to that innovation idea for all the 40 years I've worked here. And as a group, we're passionate about sharing dairy's story and keeping up with trends. Yeah, a lot of things to think about. And obviously, too, Midwest Dairy is searching for its next CEO. Can you share some thoughts, uh, any updates on, on how that process is going right now, Molly? Well, for anyone who's listening that's interested, uh, you can see the position posting on our website, MidwestDairy.com. But so far, we have a great national response to the recruitment and a strong pool of diverse candidates is already forming. So the goal will be to name Midwest Dairy's next CEO in late February and ensure a smooth transition in March. I know I'm gonna do everything in my power to ensure that we have a good transition to the next CEO to work on behalf of our dairy farmer boards and the staff. Fantastic. Molly, before we let you go today, anything final you would want to add or reiterate for folks listening in? You know, I think the first thing is a big thank you. Um, It has been an honor to work on behalf of dairy farm families in our 10 state area. They were top of mind to me every day. I know how hard they work to produce the milk that not only feeds the world, but nourishes it as well. And I owe my career to them. So big thank you on my part. Um, But as my tenure at Midwest Dairy draws to a close, I think it's important for dairy farmers to know that Midwest Dairy staff will not miss a beat. We have a new strategic plan. The plan was created with staff input, with dairy community input, and certainly with board member input. The future is bright for dairy. And then finally, just I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be part of Dairy Checkoff, and I'll be an advocate for dairy farmers, 
dairy farming and dairy foods forever. Well, we appreciate the time. And again, congratulations uh, on your retirement as CEO at Midwest Dairy. And again, folks can learn more and stay up to date at MidwestDairy.com. With that, Molly Pelzer, the outgoing CEO of Midwest Dairy. Molly, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thank you. Once again, the outgoing CEO of Midwest Dairy, Molly Pelzer. We're out of time here on AOA today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with Kirk Covington from Ag America, Markets with Mike Zuzalo, and we'll get our first preview of Commodity Classic coming up here in just a few weeks in Houston, Texas. We're out of time on AOA today. Thanks for listening. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great one. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Are you prepared for an emergency or disaster? Because it's not a matter of if, but when. Don't find yourself saying, I'll trust water bottles and a flashlight to save the day, but I'll be proved wrong. With a tornado approaching, I'll realize that I like a wheelchair accessible shelter. When the floodwaters rise, I'll be up in the attic with 20 cans of beans. It's a recipe for disaster. Let's prepare so we all have a better story to tell. Get started at ready.gov slash older adults. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments. And ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. 